Company of One, episode number 18. Welcome to the Company of One with Dale Callahan. I am Dale Callahan and I am your host. In this episode, what we're going to do today is an interview with uh, Brian Rabin, who we had done the podcast on or the, um, the blog post on a couple of weeks ago entitled, Thank You for Changing My Life. In this case, where I had talked about how Brian Rabin and I had met over lunch, over many, many lunches actually, to discuss his plan and go through the process that we have on the website called How to Find Your Calling. You know, Brian's a classic example of that, of somebody who has embraced that, who struggled through it. Uh, in, and I kind of told that story a little bit in the blog post, but many people were asking me an email, and people who know Brian were asking for some more information, for the more detail. And so I got Brian on. We did a Skype call. Uh, Brian was uh, in Florida uh, on a, a business trip, and we got together over Skype, and we recorded the rest of the story, you know, how Brian got through this, and I think you'll really appreciate the struggle that's uh, that he had and some of the, the struggles that you know, so many of us have as we try to figure out what it is we really want to do. Uh, sometimes we find that what we thought was our dream job turns out to be a nightmare, and for Brian, that was exactly what happened. It turned out to be a nightmare. Now, on this call, we were, did this over Skype. Uh, there are some audio issues, some things dropping out uh, that uh, we kind of noticed during the call that we tried to correct. Uh, we, we noticed before the call and then right after the call, we tried to correct it, and it just didn't happen completely. But the what was said was just really so good that we decided to stick with it rather than try to re-record it. Uh, because while there's while they're they're mostly annoying things, they're not issues of loss of content. So, without any further waiting, we will get right to the interview with Brian Rabin. So, I want to welcome today Brian Rabin. Brian is a uh, former alumni of, uh, or he's an alumni of the IEM program a faculty member uh, on the board. It, pretty much everything that we've done in alumni, I mean, in IEM, we have drugged Brian in, uh, sometimes kicking and screaming to help, to give us perspective uh, from what he has done and uh, in, in some of the things that he's managed to accomplish and, and his networking coming from the, the total background of, I believe, software developer or the world of software to uh, to the world of business owner and trainer. And before we get, before Brian, I just, Brian, I'm just going to tell you one thing that uh, many, many people come to me and say, I want to be like Brian, uh, you know, the, and especially when Brian teaches in our program. And the one thing people may not know about Brian is he's a machine. Uh, and I remember when he first started the company, he just went into absolute uh, machine mode. Uh, and maybe maybe he's that way. So, But Brian, I, I guess my first question to you, and this is something that I think I know the answer to. Have you always been the machine? <laughs> you know, I've, I've been one of those people, uh, Dale, who just cannot sit still. I always have to have my hands in something. And... Uh, God help you, if you ever focus me in on something and if I get obsessed with it, yes, I am definitely a machine. 
<laughs> yeah, because I've had, I know me and you've had the occasion several times where you're waiting on me. I'll ask you for, matter of fact, this this call, I think, you know, I'd ask you for stuff and that I had to show up. Getting you involved in stuff. But I, on the blog, you know, I wrote the blog post about about you. And for those that don't know, I'd, I'd send it. It's a, And I'll link to it in the show notes. But the, uh, the blog post I'd sent to Brian, I wrote it up. He and then I had lunch. I wrote it up, sent it to him, asked him, you know, did this look accurate since I was telling a story about him? I wanted to make sure he was okay with it. Uh, he sent me back some changes, mostly grammatical. Uh, thank goodness somebody does that. But I kind of wanted to, Brian, get you to talk about the, you know, the rest of the story. Uh, you know, as we met in IEM, I didn't really kind of fill this in. You know, you came to IEM, and where were you? How, how did you get from where you were there to the point that, hey, you you now became a business owner? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, at the time when I entered the uh, IEM program, I was... I guess learning how to play the game. I was in the cube, so to speak, uh, on a career path as a software developer, and you know, my all my energy and all my passion was how can I be the best software developer that I could be, and you know that was fairly rewarding and fairly interesting and a challenge certainly. I. I I think there's technical aspects to development that are very, very challenging and always something new to learn. So it kind of appealed to me, but it was really on the most off chance that I even heard about the uh, the IM program. A, a guy named Mike Wells and I, we went out and played golf. I'd recently started a new job, and Mike was one of the developers there. And we went out on the golf course, and he told me about this master's program that he was about to enter and uh, kind of put a bug in my ear and said, you know what? Maybe there's a chance you could you could join me. You could come and do this too. So I guess I kind of entered IEM with just the idea of, hey, um, getting a master's degree might help me be a better software developer. Little did I know that um, you know I was going to have my entire life turned upside down by what I learned, thanks to uh, one Dale Callahan. Uh, but it was absolutely amazing. I mean, it's like blinders got removed from my eyes. A whole new world of possibilities erupted. And uh, I left IEM um, kind of hating you, Dale, because I had this burning desire in my heart to do something else. And I didn't know what the hell it was. It was very frustrating. <laughs> you still talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, see, and I, and I kind of remember some of that, and and I, quite, quite honestly, I remember there being a point, you know, me and you were having lunch. I mean, you did a few couple things together, and uh, we we toyed around with some small business venture things. But yeah, I remember there you were you were when you went from one company and kind of got what, you know, let me let me say it was kind of your dream job. At least I felt like you were saying it was your dream job, and you got frustrated. Yeah. And, and I won't name the company. I mean, if you want to, I, I don't know the relationship. And it was, and you were actually working with another IM alumni at the time. Right. right. And that was kind of the pinnacle of playing the corporate game. You know, I did all the right things. I networked with the right people. This executive took notice of me. He invited me into his organization. He gave me the power position. He gave me the people. I mean, I had 30 full-time employees reporting to me, plus another 10 contractors, and honestly, it was probably the most stressful and hellacious time of my entire life. 
I remember I remember that. I remember you having lunch, and that might have been the point you were really ready to kill me. I don't know. <laughs> you look like it. I remember distinctly going to a Chinese restaurant, and you looking like somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> it was kind of like me not willing to let go. Like, you showed me another way, and I just wasn't willing to walk the path yet. I, I had to keep trying. I had to keep... Uh, I guess take one last shot at achieving this grand vision I had in my mind of what the corporate life was like. And, you know, I did everything I could to be successful and the stress just kept mounting and the problems kept rising and eventually it all just kind of imploded. Hmm. And I still get, you're still breaking up a little bit. We may be okay on this. I don't, um, we'll keep plowing on, but um, if not, if not, I'll hunt you down in another city. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, and those of you that I mean, obviously, if you've read the article, Brian's moved to Salt Lake City uh, this morning. We're doing a Skype, and um, and he's not. <laughs> he's he's in another state. Uh, so, uh, but I guess you're goofing off right now, and that's good. Well, it's- you know, um, sometimes you need to go and, and work in somewhere inspiring. So I'm, I'm down in the coast in Florida um, doing some strategic work for the next two weeks. I've actually got my leadership team coming um, tonight, and we're going to be in strategic planning through the weekend. So, you know, not many people can say, you know what, I'm, I'm, not ty- I'm tired of working in my hometown. I'm going to pack up and go work at the beach for a couple of weeks. So, Hey, you know, well, I didn't realize that. I thought you were down there just goofing off. So you, so you are strategic strategizing. Although I don't know really what goofing off looks like for you. Probably doesn't. Probably looks like strategizing. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, I mean, you said that. I remember when we had lunch a couple of days ago, and you were telling me as you were moving how people looked at you weird when you, and was it people you were moving to Salt Lake? Yeah, you know, so many people today. I, I I would say they're not intentional. You know, they will move because their job has been relocated by their employer. Somebody else is making the decision for them. And I would say one of the greatest things I've ever gotten out of IM is to live an intentional life. I mean, we only have so many hours to walk this amazing creation of an earth. And if we're not taking advantage of each and every one of those hours, then what kind of life are we really living? Well, that is true. You know, and, and, and I, I don't know, you, you've taught in IAM, you, I mean, you've done, and, I mean, and obviously the stuff that we're doing, we're, what we're doing is we're putting some of this concept into IAM. It's not IAM magic, but uh, uh, I don't know what percentage of people that come through the program and that exercise. And I remember you had done the exercise on finding your calling or whatever you call it. I remember you had written down all this stuff, but what it seems to me, a lot of people get in that frustration mode that there's something better. And I feel like, I feel like I'm saying that's kind of what you were saying. There's something better. I kind of see a dip. I see the path, but I don't know how the heck to get there. Do you, do you feel like, what fifty percent of us? What, what do you think is the magic bullet there? You know, it, it the, the magic bullet is something. It, it's that life changing event. I mean, you hear about addicts, and and people say, you know, addicts don't recover until they've hit rock bottom. So maybe maybe that's my 
my magic pill. It, it's hitting rock bottom. It's like, okay, so I'm at the pinnacle of my career. I'm in a director level position with 30 employees and 10 contractors and making good money and I'm getting to make decisions. And I thought this was going to be wonderful, but it sucks and it implodes. And now what? You know, I kind of hit that, that rock bottom. And at that point in time, I was at a, a, a fork in the road. You know, and I don't think a lot of us get to that point. I think a lot of us are just comfortable. You know, we get in that cube situation. We, we're doing traditional employment. The money's good, you know, and, and there's no impetus for change. It's like we get comfortable and we get complacent. And we have this vision and dream of, oh, if I could only be doing this, but we never hit that rock bottom enough to want to change. So we're all <laughs> in a way. <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in a way, I have to, as, I, as you're saying that, I mean, what kind of kicked me in the rear was a downsizing and a, uh, uh, I mean, it was me when I got into downsizing, you know, it was a culmination of a whole bunch of things collapsing in my life at one time, you know, which went in this downward spiral of the depression. You know, it felt like an addict on, you know, going through some kind of crazy withdrawal or something. But it, if it wasn't for that, yeah, I'd probably still be right. there too. You know, and I'm sure that's not really what people <laughs> want to hear. But <laughs> right. <laughs> well, tell tell me. I mean, this, this is the thing. I get a lot of times. You know, we do this. We do this, and I and I have on my website. We do it in IEM. We have it in the book. Uh, the resume is a worthless book. Dan Miller has it in his, you know, there's, there, it, it, whether it's magical or not, it's the, the, the formula or the kind of brainstorming process of uh, finding your calling where we ask, you know, things that you love and then figure out how you can make money doing it. You know, all brainstorming and find out how it's doing it. And and I remember you had brought me that that one day, which, and, uh, you know, because I asked you, had you done that? And you're like, yeah, I've done it. You know, like, and, and you know, you're almost like, I've done it, you schmuck. You know, I, I get it. I filled out your stupid piece of paper and we'll come have lunch. And because uh, that was that point you had, you were at, at the pinnacle of frustration, I think, uh, or one of your moments of pinnacles of frustration. Did that process, what did it do for you or did it help or was it? Was it a distraction? You know, go and you know yeah. what I'm talking about. I mean, when I went through IM, we called it Me Inc. It was, you know, that's yeah, right. and yes, we did. Yeah. What happened to me was I I did that in the program, and I I did it, and it was like, oh, that was a nice exercise. That was kind of my thought. But then, you know, I left the program, had that point of frustration, and. I, I would just go off into nature. I, I would go in and like a ski trip, for instance. I would be off in the woods by myself and just obsessed, obsessed with the data that was come that came out of that me ink exercise. And I would just churn through it in my head over and over and over again. Like, how can I solve my problems? How can I get out of this rut? How can I do something different? And to me, that like that whole the whole data that came out of that meeting was just completely the food for thought. You know, I didn't necessarily appreciate it as much at the time, but when it when it hit me at the right time in my life, it became the the foundation, so to speak, that I used to help me make my next decisions, to make me plot to help me plot my new life. 
So, I mean, in the interest, and I've used this uh, before every now and then, you know, people that have given me their form, and I've, I'd ask you for years and gotten your permission to use it, and I've got, you know, four or five people that have actually given me per- permission. Some people don't like to, and I kind of get that. But I, I was I was doing something, in a, and I don't know, some workshop we were doing, really had nothing to do with IEM at the time, but it was an entrepreneur workshop, and I was showing your form and somebody that knew you was in there and I don't remember who it was and said, and I don't know if you remember, you had snow skiing on it and you, and you, it was handwritten. I could barely read it. I mean, your handwriting is almost as bad as mine, you know, but it was, uh, but it had snow skiing and somebody was like, yeah, he's like, he's like snow skiing all the time now, <laughs> you know, and, 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 he, and, but that was one of your profession. And I, and I do remember you saying, Hey, I could be a ski instructor. Yeah. I mean, it's, Skiing is probably one of the greatest passions in my life. And I think part of the reason I like it so much is besides the fact I can go 50 miles an hour with sticks on my legs is, is the introspective nature. <laughs> you're, you're surrounded by beauty and I, I've never felt more connected to the, to the planet and to heaven and everywhere else than I do in nature. But to be off in such an inspiring, beautiful place and to just have pure solitude so that you can introspect think about your life and, and plan your next move. I mean, that's just been a, a key thing for me. Hmm. That's really, and, and what's so weird is it, um, to me, and, and I guess it's not weird. I find this all the time, but, um, and I remember very vividly when you were telling me we were having lunch one day and you were like, Hey, and I've got 40 days of snow skiing planned next year. You know, and I, I remember laughing about it because that was on your, I had remember that was on your list and obviously you did too. And, and so this, this isn't what you're doing for a profession, but your profession has actually allowed you to snow ski more than the typical person ever can get <laughs> off in a year. I mean, think about it, right? If you were working still in the corporate gig, could you take 40 days? Uh, to go snow the, the last couple of years I've averaged uh, 50 days of skiing. And my business partners tell me I have to stop saying that because it, it disturbs the people in in the cube. Um, but yeah, mine. <laughs> well, it should. It should. I mean, come on, it should. It, it, it's. I mean, it, and I, I would never quit saying the reason I, I wanted to interview you is because I love talking to people who are doing something different because people have to realize, just like you've told people. You can do something right. different, but if you were back, if you were still at that company, could you do forty days? No, you know what? I when I was at the company and I had two weeks of vacation and a week of sick leave, I literally would sit there and plot out every single day on a on a calendar, and I would literally almost make myself sick, worrying and thinking about God. I've only got three days to ski this time, and and it got to the point where it was almost painful for me emotionally. It was like, it, it was back like when I was dating my wife and we were in the throes of, of love and being separated was, was, you know, the worst thing in the world. It, it just felt like I was in a prison sentence. Like, here's something I'm so passionate about, but I can't, I can't possibly do it enough to make me feel satisfied. And it was just so frustrating. Hmm. Well, that that is just so cool. Now, are you okay at fifty days? <laughs> is it enough yet? 
Well, now that I live 15 <laughs> minutes from the nearest ski resort, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a lot more days than that this next year. How long? Just how long does it take? Okay, from we from your house now during ski season to to jump in the car. I, I mean, I know like a golf outing can be a two hour or, or four hour just just to go, even if you live right next door. What is it? What's it well, going to be? Let me share right? with you a, a story from this last ski season. So, we went ahead and bought a house. Um, we had it March first, and in March we did a, a public class in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I got done with the class about probably three thirty in the afternoon, so a little bit early. It was about thirty minutes to pack up and get back to my house. Within fifteen minutes, I had my gear in the car. Um, twenty minutes later, I was putting on my gear in the parking lot of the ski slope. And about 10 minutes later, I was sitting on a lift chair. I even took a picture of myself and sent it to my friends. And I'm like, how many people can say that they worked a full day and then are on the ski slopes that evening? And I probably had the biggest permagrant on my entire face, you know, just, <laughs> just like, this is so amazing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I don't care what your partner say. I mean, in, in in those of I as as I as I came out of corporate America, I used to hang around. Most of the people I hung around were corporate people, and I still obviously Brian and I still hang around a lot of corporate people, and and uh, that's who pays us, quite frankly. Um, but you know, I, I find myself more and more surrounded to people who are kind of doing whatever they want to do, and. And it's amazing. A lot of them are making a lot more money um, than than they did before. But I remember at one time you told me, "Hey, I'm not making." It, uh, and I don't know if you remember we were. I don't remember if we were at lunch or what we were doing. But you told me, "Man, I'm having a blast. I'm traveling. I'm doing a bunch of stuff. I'm not making as much money as I used to." Yeah, my first two years in business um, with Brain Trust, um, I made less than fifty thousand dollars a year. I I, w- I went from you know, making a nice corporate salary to, you know, almost wondering where, where am I going to get the money to pay the mortgage? And during that time, the, the thing that surprised me the most was when I entered business, I, I my own business, I figured the, the greatest thing I'm going to get out of this is money. And, and all I really want is money. But the biggest surprise to me after doing this for as long as I've done it now is the thing I value more than money is my time. That to me is the thing that we, I think we all take for granted sometimes. It's that we are spending our time doing what we want to do rather than having somebody else tell us what we have to do. Amen. You know, and and I have, I have found that trend that no matter how wealthy an individual is, and, and I mean even to the from the point, hey, I'm making forty thousand a year to, you know, I'm making seven plus figures a year. Um, when you when you pin them down, they it's it's freedom. I, I don't want anybody to tell me where I've got to be at eight, and it's not like you're late. And Brian is anything but lazy. I don't think he was ever. No, I don't think that lazy. Brian and lazy don't go in the same sentence. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's not going to go in the same sentence. And if you think Brian's lazy, just go try to hang out with him for a couple of days. Uh, I know the guys that go into you know the the IEM classes that go into class with you would never <laughs> accuse you of being lazy. <laughs> they might accuse you of a lot of things. Yeah, by, by eight o'clock in the morning, I've probably done more to, to move my business forward than most people do an entire day. What what is the now that. Okay, how do you bottle that? In all seriousness, because we say that, everybody really would like, what got you to the point of, is that just how you've been ever since you were a kid? Yeah, um, well, a couple of things. I think one thing I'd like to share is this notion of work-life balance. Some people seem to be so obsessed with work-life balance. I don't even care about that concept anymore. My life is more of a flow. And if, if, I'm, if it's 10 o'clock at night and all of a sudden I feel motivated to go answer emails or to do invoicing, you know, I'll go do it. And I might have the most productive hour just knocking out a ton of invoices. In the middle of the day, like right now, you know, maybe the best thing for me to do is go lounge, lounge on the beach for a couple of hours. And, and so getting out of this whole notion of work-life balance, getting out of this whole notion of an eight to five, I think that's one of the secrets is because I'm going to work when I'm most motivated to work. And, and when I do sit down at work, I'm going to focus on that and get it done and then move on to the next thing. Hmm. It, I, I see a lot of work-life balance conversations going on out there in the blog world and, you know, in a lot of articles and now that you say that, it's almost like these are the people who have an eight to five. And I mean, the weird thing is, even when you were working supposedly eight to five, you were hardly working eight to five. I mean, it was it never even though you were getting a flat. No, of course not. You know, and, and then there's some times where you feel like a prisoner. You know, it's like it's Friday afternoon and your mind's already left the job. And yet you still have two hours to go of sitting behind a desk playing solitaire or something, you know. So I, I think this notion of, you know, eight to five um, work is just so contrived, you know. And, and most companies can't trust their people enough. Or they can't release their people enough to have that kind of faith. But my, that's essential in my company. I don't have a vacation policy at Brain Trust, other than to say, do the right thing. That's what I tell my people, do the right thing. And so that means, um, for instance, I, I just talked to my, my chief salesperson, Dan Reynolds. This morning, he went and got new tires put on his car. Did he tell me he was going to do that? Did he ask for permission? No, that's just what he needed to go do. You know, do I care? Absolutely not. You know, that was the right thing for him at the right time. So I, know, it's, it, I think it's different. It's just it's a flow rather than a work-life balance. Now, at, but as as you found this, uh, and, and for those of you that don't know, I mean, you're you're an agile, is there? Because that's one of the things you corrected me on. Because you know, I usually tell people I can spell PMI and, and PMP, and uh, but that's about a. But I mean, your company does. It. Yeah, we're an agile training and, and consulting firm. We help organizations successfully implement a set of values and principles that are shared between a bunch of different methods. And and who who would be? Yeah, we have a clients? a pretty long list of clients. Companies like H and R Block, American Airlines, GE, 
Um, even smaller companies, um, government institutions such as Department of Homeland Security, NASA, universities, Vanderbilt, Emory, UC Davis. Um, it's been a pretty pretty wide array of organizations we've helped. Okay. Well, then the question, I mean, I know, I mean, everything sounds really cool, honky-dory and all this wonderful stuff. Yeah, you find, and I know when we had lunch the other day, you know, we were talking about, you know, changes in business. What What's the struggles as you've moved to the level now that you, you're, you, and I, I think this is fair to say you're out of, you're trying to get out of doing some of it and getting other people to do stuff and you, you've grown and there's some discomfort in that, I'm guessing. What, what new struggles are yeah, around so the corner? With my CFO hat on, uh, we made a business decision to bring on um, Dan to be over sales and marketing. And because of that, we've increased our overhead and the profitability of our business has gone in the toilet. So, you know, one of the challenges we'll be discussing this weekend is how do we get the business to be profitable again? Now, the good news is uh, we've been able to go from me training eight classes a month to training only four without a substantial um, hit to revenue and actually actually to be honest I'm actually making more money doing four classes than I was doing eight so we're peeling the onion so to speak but but with that there's growing pains there's growing pains in terms of profitability there's growing pains in terms of our operations I just got an issue today where uh, some supplies that were supposed to be shipped out um, got lost in a FedEx truck and the instructors looking for them and they're all panicked so you get a lot more of these organizational issues that you have to figure out a way to um, kind of put the process in place to deal with them so that you don't have to be impacted with them as much. Is, is it fair to say, I mean, some of the processes that you might have hated in corporate America, you're having to think about how to implement those? Yeah, I mean, as we grow... Um, we're definitely implementing some processes. I, I just rolled out two actually a few minutes ago before we got on the phone. Um, one for ordering supplies and another one for requesting an invoice. But I, I think the good news is about me designing them with the input of my team is that we can eliminate the bureaucracy. We can do it from a more agile standpoint and we can focus on what adds value, not the typical approach. The typical approach is tell me all the things that could possibly go wrong and we'll come up with a contingency to deal with every one of those. And that just adds bureaucracy and time delays. So we're really, I think, as an agile company, as a small organization, we're able to cut through a lot of that crap and just focus on what adds value to, to what we're doing. Yeah. That is, that is I mean, and, and I, I ask that question particularly because everybody thinks, you know, it's, it has its own challenges. I'm guessing that the freedom is worth it. Dale, if I, if I had to go back in the cube, I don't think I would make it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think the same thing, too. You know, my, my wife um, will oftentimes tell me, you know, you know as, as we explore things, you know, we're always exploring. I know you always are, too. You know, the, and she's like, well, you could always just... You could go back and, and start a co you know formal company back in. Some guy was telling me you could go to a certain city and take an executive position. I was like, and, and I remember my heart racing as this guy was somewhat trying to recruit me the other day to go and move. Because <laughs> I don't think I could stand it. 
I don't care what title you give me. <laughs> uh, you know, and there's, uh, I mean, it's been really weird. And, and you know, some of these people, Brian, that have come through IEM that have, that they are executives uh, at their corporation. They got the cool job. They're, in all practical purposes, they're yeah. in charge and they're miserable. That's, that's what was surprising to me is once uh, I got near the top, just to realize that, you know what? It really wasn't what I wanted. It, and, it, and these people really are miserable. And you know what? They just have more problems and more stress. And it's, it's a lot harder life than you think. Yeah. Yes, it's a... Yeah, and, and I am, you know, in all with that, I'm, I am so thankful that there are some... <laughs> Uh, well, I know, and Brian, out. I mean, it's three o'clock in the afternoon here when we're doing this call. Uh, we're, we're both, I guess, on central time now, and we're going to go going to the beach. I'm going to go hang out with my kids, and that's part of a wonderful thing here. But I just want to ask you, Brian, what, what I've got you, and maybe we'll follow up on this. We'll, we'll sure. see what people want to know if, if that's okay with you. Anything else? Anything you just want to share with with anybody with people listening? You know, I, I think the biggest mistake I think a lot of people make is. They never try. They 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 have the dream and they're not willing to take the leap, and then they die in their office. I I can remember this one gentleman. Um, I started an insurance company, and within a month, somebody came running down the hall and they said, "Does anybody know CPR?" And I was like, "I do. Why?" And and I actually witnessed this this gentleman die in his office, and. That was pretty traumatic, and um, after that was over, I did a lot of reflection, and I said, you know what, if I were to die in my office, what kind of life would that be? It was just, to me, it was like it was, it was like hell. It was like the worst thing that could possibly happen. Now, I can't say that for this guy. Maybe he was completely happy. I didn't know him, unfortunately, but just the shock of seeing that just scared me so bad that I, I think it kind of helped me push me over the edge when I think back to it. So I think the one thing I'd like to leave people with is if you have a passion and you have a desire to do something and you're afraid to try it, you only get one life. And if you're not willing to go after it, you know, one day you may be looking back over your life with a lot of regret and that's going to be a really sad day. And I don't ever want you to have to experience that. Amen. Uh, I am so with you, and that's the, that's the kind. And I know you deal with them every day. It seems like that's just one of the things. But uh, I want to thank you. We'll cut here because I know both of us are going to go do something and hopefully have some fun this afternoon. All right, thanks, Dale. I appreciate so you having me on here with us, Brian. Well, thanks again to Brian for doing that, for uh, putting up with the uh, technical difficulties we were having. Thank you for putting up with them. I hope you appreciate the fact that. We did not edit them out just because it's you know it's hard to recreate. Um, you know we we don't always say the same thing again the second time. And I wanted to get what he said. I just uh, you know while Brian and I are great friends, uh, just such profound stuff that he said right here based upon uh, where he is, where he what he's discovered, and many of the conversations that we've had. Just such a great wrap up in about twenty minutes of of that. Uh, I, I ask you for your feedback. You know, if you find this useful, if you thought this was a uh, useful uh, type of podcast, let me know. I know many of you, and I've heard from you, tell me that you know you're listening to something like this in the car or working out. So the idea of going back at some point in time and rating something on an iTunes or 
shooting an email or a text or something like that is well that's a well <laughs> we just forget uh, but we, we have may have great intention to do something but you know um, when you do remember shoot us a text or, or you know, shoot us something from your device of an email uh, again you can leave a voicemail on the website just at dellcallahan.com and really just any kind of feedback because the I mean this is done for you I'm not sitting here doing this just for to hear myself talk. Uh, I can get plenty of that in other ways. The, but let me know if this is useful. If you want us to do more of these, we probably have an endless supply of people. It's just a matter of catching up with them and getting an interview. People that have been through our program, people that I've coached and worked with, people that uh, that I know that are living a different life, that are um, they're they're. They've jumped outside of the cubicle. You know, they've they've escaped the cubicle, um, and, and many of them, you would say, as a matter of fact, the one I do have lined up, uh, well, not the details, but we're trying to line up. You would say is still in the cubicle, but I think you'll understand that you can be in a large corporation and yet have escaped. Uh, and those kind of stories are great to hear because uh, they offer everything the world of financial security, if there's such a thing, and uh, an opportunity to live your dream at the same time. So thank you very much for listening and thank you for any feedback that you have. Now go make something happen.